So what is splash? You know, when I read the New Testament and, and I look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, I notice that the way that he did witnessing, what we would call witnessing, uh, was always natural. There was nothing strained or artificial about it. It was, seemed to be spontaneous. It seemed to be natural. Uh, and yet, those who measure such things tell us that only 4% of those people who claim to have a relationship with that same Jesus Christ have ever told anybody about him. I want you to let that sink in for a moment. Those who measure these things tell us that only about 4% of those who claim to have a relationship with Jesus Christ have ever told anybody how they can have one. Now, I... I don't want to start preaching because I said I'm going to let you out early, but let me me let that sink into you again. That means if 4% have told somebody about Jesus, how many have not told anybody about Jesus? 96%. That's a staggering number to me. 96%. Now, I'm convinced, and and maybe you are as well, I'm convinced that probably 100% of of all those Christians who have a relationship with Jesus would want their friends and their family to know him. 100% of those people would want to have the assurance that their friends, their family members would be going to heaven when they die. Uh, Yet for most of us, witnessing is something that's forced or feels artificial or we just choose not to do it because we're just not gifted we think so here's what splash is splash is a different approach it's not an evangelism training time uh it's a different approach the acrostic splash stands for show people love and share him splash show people love and share him so I want you to say that with me because I hope, I hope this is going to start sinking into, into our gray matter and into our hearts. So what does splash stand for? Yeah. It's not an evangelism program. It's really just a study of the life and ministry of Jesus. It's really just a study of how did Jesus do it? What did Jesus do? So each week we're going to study a different aspect of his life and his ministry and consider the ways that maybe we can use some of that in our lives. We're going to be studying this throughout the month of June and and hopefully learn how to do what Jesus did. As kind of an introduction, I've got this four-minute video that I want to show you from Dr. Roy Fish. Let me tell you who he is uh, before you watch it. Dr. Roy Fish trained thousands, not hundreds, but thousands of pastors and missionaries in personal evangelism at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I was one of those students. Uh, I took every class that he taught. Uh, I wish, and and I've I've looked and I looked and looked, and and it's just not out there uh, that I can find at least. I wish that we had, we being Southern Baptists, had recorded Dr. Fish's lectures. It was the most incredible lectures I've ever had. My favorite professor. uh, I would go into it, all of us would. We would go to this class, and sometimes we would come out of that class just riding on the clouds. It's like, man, this is a spiritual high. And sometimes we'd come out of that class feeling like we need to go out on our knees because we'd been so humbled by this gentle giant. Uh, During his lifetime, Dr. Fish not only taught evangelism at seminary, he also personally led scores of people 
to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I was thinking about this the other day, that only eternity will reveal how many people stood beside Jesus on September the 10th, 2012, when Dr. Fish entered heaven. Uh, there, were, there had to be scores of people who were there to wait on him and greet him and say, thank you for sharing Jesus with me. So, that he died September 10th, 2012. Uh, so, you're going to get a little glimpse into his heart and, and really, hopefully, a little motivation to learn how to show people love and share him. Let's watch this little video together. There is something in the nature of God that wants his love to be shared with other people. And I think that's, that's the most, most uh, powerful driving force in my own life. I'm not saying it's always there, but this realization that God loves people and God wants his love to be made known. And as I said, that to me is the most powerful driving force, God's own nature and his desire that people know about his love to the, to the degree that they can come into vital relationship with him. But not merely God, but uh, other people and their great need. I, I don't ever remember hearing anything in all the time I've been at Southwestern as a student in faculty lounge or anywhere else. I don't remember ever hearing anything that would be foreign to the fact that people without Jesus are lost. And they're not only lost, but they're in danger of being eternally lost. I'll be really honest with you. I, I, I sort of wish it were different, but the most powerful motive in my own life for sharing the gospel in the years that I've been in ministry, the most powerful motive has been the fact that people are going to be in hell if they don't somehow come into saving faith with Jesus. So the lostness of people, oh, you could expand that. Uh, they're not only lost, but when you're lost, usually you have an emptiness and a hunger on the inside and a desire that's not satisfied. But nevertheless, God and other people. A third reason is just because of what it does for us. I, uh, I don't know many Christians who are actively sharing their faith, who don't find the Christian life to be exciting. Now, God intended that. He believed, I think, that when we get into his redemptive stream, that we discover a degree of excitement that we don't find anywhere else a tremendous satisfaction in sharing 
the gospel and uh, telling other people uh, what it does for me. That's, that's a part of a driving force. And you know, I couldn't imagine anything more wonderful than to get to heaven and to have somebody come up to you and say, hey, you know, I, I probably wouldn't be here in heaven if it weren't for you. I mean, Jesus is the one who saved me, but you're the one who told me about him. And if you hadn't told me about him, I might not be here. And I've been waiting on you to come to heaven because I've been wanting to thank you for sharing with me. I might not be here if it weren't for you. So uh, because of God and because of others and because of what it does for us, I see those as three, at least three areas of driving motivation for sharing the thrilling news of Jesus with others. It's been over 30 years since I've been in his class, and I still remember many of his lectures. Uh, did you catch that, that statement that he made? People coming up to you in heaven and saying, Jesus is the one who saved me, but you are the one who told me about him. I want somebody to be able to do that for you when you step into heaven. I want somebody to be able to say, thank you. You told me about him. And he said at the very first of the video, God loves people. And he wants you to show and to share that love. So that's what we're going to be talking about during the month of June. How do we show people love and share him? So I'm going to give you three foundational principles. Some of you bring a notebook sometimes, so if you want to write these down, these are kind of foundational principles to, to the whole Splash series, a way of introducing to you what we're going to be talking about. Three foundational principles to showing people love and sharing Him. Number one, a witness is what we are before it's what we do. A witness is what we are before it is what we do. Write that down, I'll explain it to you. One more time, a witness is what we are before it is what we do. You see, in order to be a witness of anything, you have to experience it before you can share it. Uh, the word witness implies a personal, first-hand knowledge of something. I, I want you to help me illustrate this. Finish this sentence. And, and this can be about anything. It could be about uh, a ball game. It could be about the birth of your child. It could be about an accident that, that you saw. But I want you to finish somebody, verbally finish this sentence for me. I was there when... Dot, dot, dot. I was there when... What? Just give us some, exa some examples. All right. Yeah, I was there when my mother died. Give me another one. I was there when my children were baptized. Very good. Give me another one. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I don't know if you heard that in the bag. He said, I was there when I got saved. 
Let me have one more. I was there when? When your granddaughter was born. Absolutely. You see, the very word witness implies I was there. I had firsthand knowledge. I didn't just hear about it. I experienced it. Now, I want you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 24. As we work on this first foundational principle, Luke chapter 24. In Luke chapter 24, this is after the resurrection of of Jesus. You know perhaps the story of uh, his encounter with two men on the road to Emmaus. That begins in verse 13. Uh, They talk not knowing it it is Jesus that they're talking to. And and then after that, uh, they will go back and they talk to the twelve. These two men do. They go back and talk to the twelve about what they saw and heard. And, And so we pick up the story in verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do, you, why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe in it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and and ate it in, in their presence. Note that phrase, in their presence. Verse 44, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures. Uh, By the way, just side note there, if you'll note in verse 44, Jesus said, the Old Testament speaks about me. Not just the New Testament. The Old Testament speaks about me. This is what everything was fulfilled that was written about me. In the Law of the Moses, the Prophets, and the Psalms. Those, Those are the three divisions in the Hebrew Bible. Verse 45, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what was written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now, after these instructions, Jesus makes a simple declaration in the very next verse that is a very important declaration. He says in verse 48, You are witnesses of these things. You were witnesses. You see, they were there. They had seen him. They had heard him. And they were forever witnesses of these things. Their presence with Jesus and their experience with Jesus made them witnesses. Not a course. Not a training event. Their presence with Jesus, their experience with Jesus, made them witnesses. Let's think about it this way. If you were to see an accident or a crime, if you were to see that and be a witness to that event, you could argue, I don't want to be a witness. 
You could make this statement that you're not qualified to be a witness. But guess what? You don't have that option. Because you were there. You saw it. You experienced it. You are a witness. Your presence and your experience make you a witness. Now, whether or not you verbalize the witness is up to you. Whether or not you tell people what you've seen is up to you. But, but you're a witness simply by the very fact that you were there. I was talking to somebody today, and he was talking about, it was in one of the meetings I was in, he was talking about coming up on an accident, one of his church members. I just, he, he, I think he said it was last week, he didn't tell me where it was, uh, somewhere in South Carolina, one of his church members was in an accident on the interstate, and he was called to the scene, and the, his church member was in this truck that, that exploded, and, and he was burned beyond recognition he he looked at me now this is days later he looked at me and tears began to form around his eyes and he says have you ever smelled burning flesh he started shaking his head he just he he couldn't get that out of his mind see he's a witness and he can't make the case well I don't want to be a witness he is one because he was there. He saw it. He experienced it. Now, in our case, we too are witnesses. What are we witnesses of? Well, we're witnesses of the greatest news this world has ever seen. I want you to think about this. this listen, listen, I wrote it out this way. I want you to hear it. The sovereign God of the universe desires to enter into a love relationship with sinful man, and he paid the price to make it possible. And we're witnesses to that. Now, no, we haven't seen Jesus. We, we have not personally been in, in his presence. We have not walked the dusty streets and personally listened to his teaching. But if you're a Christian, you are a witness because you have encountered him. We have experienced his mercy and his grace. We know what forgiveness feels like. We know what the peace of God is like. And we know who made it all possible. See, your personal experience with Jesus makes you a witness. You're a witness of these things. Now notice one other thing if you're starting to feel inadequate, like I sometimes do. I want you to notice one other thing, that their effectiveness was not dependent upon them. Because he says in the very next verse, verse 49... After he says in verse 48, you're witnesses of these things, that's what you are. Verse 49, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with what? Power from on high. The Lord Jesus knew that they were witnesses, but he also knew that they were weak witnesses. He knew that if they were going to really take what they had seen and what they had experienced to anybody else, they're going to need more than their own strength to do it. If they were going to impact anybody else's life, if they were going to share good news with these people, even though it is good news, he knew you're not going to go very far, you're not going to be very effective, you're not going to do very much unless, unless you have the power from on high. And that's true for us too, isn't it? Could I remind you of something, and this will be foundational to everything we're talking about. Could I remind you of something? You have a partner in the Holy Spirit. And you have a power in the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is our partner in witnessing. A witness is what we are, but doing the witnessing, we need the Holy Spirit for that. Witnessing is nothing more than telling your own story in the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, so that's the first one. Number two. Again, just foundational principles to what we're going to be doing in this study. Number two, our lives in Christ are designed to make people thirsty for the gospel. That's the second foundational principle. Our lives in Christ are designed to make people thirsty for the gospel. Very early in Jesus' ministry, he made a declaration to the men who were following him. And I want you to turn to that declaration in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, this is early in the ministry of Jesus. The, those men had just begun following him. And, and I can't say that enough. These guys had just begun to follow him. And I want you to see what he said to them. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. I want to deal first of all with just verse 13. I want you to notice again the declaration. Jesus said, you are salt. By the very nature of who you are. Because you are my followers. You are salt. He didn't say you're going to become salt. He didn't say if you take the right courses, you'll you'll be salt. He didn't say you need to go to seminary and get trained so you can be salt. Jesus said by the very nature of who you are, my followers. You are salt. It's the end result of our personal relationship with Jesus. If we belong to, the, to King Jesus, we are by the very nature of our relationship, the salt of the earth. You see, being salt is no more an option than being a witness. It's who you are. It's not just what you do, it's who you are. You, you are a witness. It's not just what you do, that's who you are. You are a witness because of your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You are salt because of your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet, Jesus said in this same passage that we can lose that opportunity to influence others. He describes it this way. He's talked about salt that loses its saltiness. You are the salt of the earth. That's what you are. And I'd encourage you to underline that word are. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty? Again, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and Trampled by men. Now, how does that happen? How does salt lose its saltiness? I want you to talk to one another for a minute. For a minute and then I want you to share it with you. I'm going to give you 45 seconds. Go. Just how does salt lose its saltiness? Either literally or physically. How do Christians, we as Christians, lose our saltiness? Talk to one another.
All right, that's 45 seconds. So either literally or spiritually, how does salt lose its saltiness? Anybody got some answers for us? All right, so as Christians, we can lose our saltiness by unconfessed sin, by living in sin. Yes. What else? Exactly. Literally speaking, I did some research on this last night. I was, you know, scientifically, can salt lose its saltiness? Salt basically is always salt unless you dilute it or contaminate it. If you dilute it or contaminate it, salt can, in, in essence, lose its saltiness. Isn't that interesting? That can happen in our lives, too. Yeah. That our lives can become contaminated. Our lives can become diluted from the pure gospel. And all of a sudden, we lose our purpose. Because really, what this text is talking about is this. Jesus is saying, hey, you have a purpose. You are salt. You are salt of the earth. You have a purpose. A God-given, God-ordained purpose. It's to be the salt of the earth. But, the salt loses its saltiness. It's lost its purpose. It's no longer. He said, Jesus said this, not me. He said, it's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out. That doesn't mean you're going to lose your salvation, but it does mean you can lose your usefulness. Our lives in Christ are designed to make people thirsty for the gospel. You see, salt basically does three things. This is not new information, so I'm not going to... Uh, Terry here, but salt does three things. One, first of all, it's a preservative. Salt is, is applied to, to meat, for example. Anybody like country ham? Oh, man, I'm, a, I, I'm telling you, your pastor loves some country ham. Now, I know it's not healthy, but it sure is good. And, and the more salt in it, the better for me. I hate people to say, you want some country ham? And then I eat it, and you can't taste any salt. You know, it's like, that's city ham. That's not country ham. Country ham. Come on, I'm preaching now. Country ham has salt, right? But it's a preservative. It's applied to meat. It was applied, especially in the biblical time, as a preservative for meat. And there's a lot of rot in our world, isn't there? There's a lot of rot in the world. And Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. You're the one that helps the society from rotting. Salt's also used for flavor. You know, do, do, have you ever heard this? Somebody has heart trouble, they go into the hospital, and they have a bland diet. You know what's called a bland diet? Yeah. It's, a bland, it's bland because you do, if you don't have the salt, it's bland. It has no flavor. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. You give flavor to those around you. Salt also, of course, makes you thirsty. I love popcorn. Anybody else like popcorn? Sunday nights, popcorn, M&M's, and Pepsi. That's what I call a Sunday night meal. You're learning all my good eating habits here, aren't you? Yeah. But salty popcorn, salty, buttery popcorn is really, really good. Except if you eat salty popcorn, you've got to have something to drink, don't you? Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. Our lives 
should make people thirsty for the gospel. Here's what I mean by all that. When people see you and get to know you, when they talk to you, when they watch the way that you live your life, if they don't know Jesus, do they want to? When they encounter you, sir, man, salt cleanses. Oh, that's good. I hadn't thought about that. Salt cleanses. That's good. It's healing. How is salt healing? Well, that's true. You gargle salt water. It's healing. It's healing. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah. Y'all are good. You're the salt of the earth. So make people thirsty for the gospel. Here's a third principle. Again, I'm going to let you out early. Third principle we're going to talk about. Uh, our lives should point beyond ourselves. I've preached on this recently in the Ripple series, so I'm not going to stay here too long, but our lives should always, you might want to put the word always there, our lives should always point beyond ourselves. Jesus was talking about that when he said, and he makes this declaration again, you are, not will be, not could be, not may be. You are the light of the world. Because of your connection to me, you are the light of the world. Jesus was saying, and let me read the rest of the verse. He says, neither do people, I'm sorry, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. That's not the purpose of it. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, your light should shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise you. Know what he said. Your light should, should shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father. You see, your life is supposed to point beyond you. Uh, you probably could get this just in that four minutes that you saw Dr. Fish. But man, if there's anybody who pointed beyond himself. The way he talked, the way he taught, the way he lived. He lived a life that he was a light to others. I think it's interesting that Jesus basically was saying, because you are one of my followers, you are what I am. Hear this. Look in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 12. Go there quickly. John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of of life. He said, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me is going to be the same, basically. That's Shorter's translation. Whoever follows me, because I, that's what I am, I'm the light of the world, whoever follows me will not be in darkness. You'll be what I am. You'll be light to the world. Now, go to chapter 9 of John, verse 5. Something that really fascinated me uh, when I was studying this last night. He said, verse 5, John 9, 5. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. It hit me that he said, while I'm in the world. What about when he's not in the world? We're the light. 
while I'm in the world, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But, but I'm not going to be the light of the world. I, I, you're going to be here. Because you're my followers. You'll be what I am. And if you question that, go to John chapter 12, verse 46. John chapter 12, verse 46. Jesus again speaking says, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. See, the one, you, know, you know who needs the light? It's people, of course, in darkness. You know anybody in darkness? You know what I found in my own life? Maybe you found it to be true, too. In my own life, the, what I found, unless I'm absolutely intentional and deliberate, that most of the people that I know are in the light. I don't know many people in the darkness. And that needs to change. Because the people who are in the darkness desperately need you and me to be what we are. The light of the world. Again, our, our, our purpose is not to draw attention to ourselves. It's the point beyond ourselves to God. Our purpose is, our pur- let me put it to you this way. Our purpose is not to show people how good we are. Our purpose is to show people how good God is. And we must show Him if we are going to be effective in sharing Him. That's what this whole study is going to be about. We, we have to figure out how to Show people love and share Him. Show them the love and then share with them where real love is found. So I hope you'll join us in the month of June as we look at these things. And we're going to hopefully do two things. Hopefully we're going to talk about how to help you have a more intimate relationship with Jesus because the more intimate your relationship is with Jesus, the easier it will be for you to share Him with someone. And in addition to that, we're going to learn from the life and ministry of Jesus how to show the love of God to others. So basically, we we hope that in the next few weeks together, we're going to be more in love with Jesus than we have in the past, and then we're going to be sharing that love of Jesus with those that we know. So let's review the three foundational principles before we leave. Number one, a witness is what we are before it's what we do. You have to personally experience it before you can share it. Number two, our lives in Christ are designed to make people thirsty for the gospel. You are the salt of the earth. Number three, our lives should always point beyond ourselves. Let people see your good works that they may praise your Father in heaven. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to give you an assignment. You can choose whether or not you do it, but let me... If you like to have kind of an assignment for your Bible study time, let me give you an assignment. Because we're going to be looking at these passages of Scripture next week. And if you read them ahead of time, and maybe even study them ahead of time, uh, it will lead to more discussion next week. Because next week, I'd like to do less talking, and you do you be involved in some of this talking as well. Uh, so, 
here's the assignments if you choose to, to read them and perhaps even study them. Three passages of Scripture. Number one, uh, read John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 42. And then if you would read John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. And then Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. One more time. John 4, 1 through 42. John 8, 1 through 11. Luke 19, 1 through 10. All right? So if you'll read those, uh, that will lead to some better discussion uh, next Wednesday night. All right? Let me pray with you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that uh, you have indeed challenged us to be who we are. We are witnesses. We are salt. We are light. May we become more and more convinced of it, and may we, may we become more aware of those who need the Lord Jesus. And may by the power of the Holy Spirit, may we have more confidence to talk about Him and to show and share His love. And I pray that in Christ's name, amen.